0: I'm your host, Danielle Dupuis, and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Today, we are joined by Miss Tree Turtle, also known as Kleis Abeni, who is the co-director and lead teaching artist of the Baltimore Wisdom Project and Wisdom Projects Incorporated. Um, she is a longtime Maryland educator, restorative practitioner, mediator, and community counselor. Um, for further information, you can um, check her out on her website at www.everythingtree.info. Um, welcome, Tree, and thanks for joining me today.
1: Oh, I'm just so delighted and honored and humbled to be with you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share, Danielle.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, now, this I love the story of how your name Tree Turtle came into existence. Um, can you tell us that story?
1: Yes. <laughs> I am a ordained Buddhist upasika. It is a role within Buddhism that is slightly different from those of us who take vows from monks and nuns. And the, but we take the same five precepts and we live a a life of, of spiritual work and we have a spiritual mission. And the name that I chose. Vrsaka when I studied off and on for eight years in Thailand at Wat Dharmakaya under a wonderful woman-led leadership, Mm -hmm. a temple in the Buddhist Theravada tradition founded by a woman. And I will put a little caveat and say that her leadership, and she lived a long, long time and passed away in the year 2000, born in the teens of the 20th century, you know, has always been a struggle to achieve the kind of recognition that she deserves. On her Wikipedia page, they say that she was illiterate. (laughs) And these things, of course, are really not true. Um, You can't found a whole entire temple and run it for decades and be illiterate. Mm Mm-hmm and the story of her acceptance of lgbtq and non-thai non-asian adherents and her her work of training expats in thailand in the buddhist traditions of compassion and care and mindfulness are not widely acknowledged or celebrated at all, mm-hmm. because there is such, a, a, still such a, a stigma to being LGBTQ and being of any spiritual tradition, unless it is frankly and very directly and openly affirming. Mm-hmm. So those of us who flocked to her and went to Thailand and trained with her and members of her circle who are LGBTQ, there's still this reluctance not to have us uh, be put forward. But nevertheless, my life was changed by her and my vow name and my legal name is Tree Turtle, which is the translation of Versaka Dooley and English translation. I, I chose English translation when I changed my name legally because the accent markings in the Pali language, we're not reading through on forms especially in the digital sphere mm-hmm. they would come up in, in as mismarkings and i wanted my name to be clear to the public i choose the name clise not a pen name not a pseudonym but an actual orthonym a real name as my second name that i publish under because I wanted to distinguish between my role in my life as an educator and a healer, and the voice that I have in my publications. Mm -hmm. And the other part of the story of my legal name, Tree Turtle, is that when I was little, I had a wonderful childhood friend who I'll call Tiny. Tiny is not her, her legal name, but I, take steps to protect the individuals in my private life. And when we were were literally toddlers, we would play in the alley under a mulberry tree in Washington, D.C., in one of the first neighborhoods I lived in. And she, and this was the alley right outside of a Section 8 housing project. And we would make that, that rough and tumble world a world of our own. And we would, Play anthropomorphically, uh, and she would want me to be an animal, and I would want to hear her to be an animal, and and we we would we would argue gently with each other about which animal we were going to be, and finally, she allowed me to be a tree, and or animal or should I say plant, and and then I also was able to be a turtle, and and. Those, those 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 energies stuck with me from our childhood games and they've been some of the the longest senses of myself that I've ever had to be a creature that has built-in protection the turtle to be a creature like a tree that's rooted but yet also branching out at the same time so it's very long resonances that I wanted to to honor and continue within my name. So that's the story of my name.
0: I love it. I love it. I could listen to you talk all day, Tree. You're just, you're so calm. And um, I know that people can't, are not able to meet you in person right now. But um, when I first met you back in October, um, when we were on that, that convening in New Mexico, I mean, talk about a small world, like me traveling, both of us traveling halfway across the country and meeting each other at this convenient meeting, only to find out that we were, you know, practically neighbors. Um, I know. and, um, you just have this like presence about you, um, which I think is, it's very calming and soothing and warm and welcome. And, uh, I think that that is really helpful for the type of work that you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing at the Baltimore Wisdom Project?
1: Yes. I'm so happy to be the co- director. And with the founder and co-director, and I also helped found this wonderful organization, the Baltimore Wisdom Project, which is one of the divisions of a national nonprofit 501c3 organization, a small organization called Wisdom Projects Mm Incorporated. The other division is in Chicago. And we are educational services and workshop company. We offer services in the form of community counseling, resource sharing, conflict transformation interventions, restorative justice interventions, and we also workshops, educational workshops that integrate healing and whole child concepts and social emotional learning concepts with STEM, particularly urban ecology and environmental justice, And the arts and all the range of arts from visual arts, drawing and crafts, to to performing arts of music and dance. And we offer these services and workshops to both children and youth from pre-K to high school and the adults that care for them. And a large part of our work is offering trainings to teachers and educators and how to be caretakers and peacemakers within the community using the tremendously wonderful principles of restorative practices, restorative justice, mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, and other behavioral health management ideas and practices. And this work has been very dear to me. Outside of the Baltimore Wisdom Project and Wisdom Projects Incorporated, I've been doing this same work amongst other things in my life since 1986 for about 34 years. And I just feel so honored to have given my life to be a caretaker and a peacemaker. I want to tell you why it is that my presence and my voice is like this, because I think it will be helpful to the public to know. Uh When I was a child, I was diagnosed as autistic. Hmm. And to function and, and serve in the world, I have to be very deliberative and think carefully about what I say and how I say it. And I was re-diagnosed at the age of 18 or 19 as autistic as well. My opening to life as just after infancy at around three years old was a world of words because a part of my autistic conditions is I was born with a, a diagnosis of hyperlexia. Hmm. Hyperlexic individuals are have a, a radical uh, saturation with language. And we are flooded kaleidoscopically with words. Some of us have photographic memories when it comes to words. But all of us begin by reading very, very early and by flocking to a world of language within our minds, highly precise, rich, autodidactic language. One of the reasons why I care for you so much, Danielle, is because you are a librarian. (laughs) (laughs) And and you know what I'm talking about.
0: Oh, yes
1: you and you, I and I
0: love to read so I love to read. I, I was actually reading some of your some of your words and you're a beautiful writer.
1: Oh oh I thank you so much. That means so much to me. And so you 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 know that our lives are predicated upon reading. Mm-hmm. And of course readings and, and ancillary processes, multimedia engagement too. So mm-hmm. by the time I was three years old, I was, of course, reading the King James Version of the Bible and memorizing the Psalms and proverbs and whole passages. But I'd also moved on to the novels of, that were locked in. I picked the lock of my mother's singer sewing machine cabinet. Oh, and Pearl S. Buck's Imperial Woman. Mm-hmm. Very important book. Heidi by Speary and this remarkable novel that helped me claim my womanhood. Member of the Wedding by Garson McCullers. (laughs) A novel written in the 40s, 1940s, about a tomboy named Frankie, who hangs around in doorways as she did at the beginning of the novel and who's living in the South, uh, a white adolescent child with a a African-American maid named Bernie Sadie Brown, and a cousin. And all of them are thinking about what it means to be between worlds. It was Mm -hmm. no mistake that Carson McGullers began the novel by placing Frankie hanging around the doorway because the doorway is the the liminal space. Mm -hmm. And she was literally as a tomboy, literally in that liminal space she called herself the language that Carson McCullers uses a unjoined person and being 4 years old and reading those words i knew i am a unjoined person you know
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. so you knew at that at that stage of your life
1: before. oh 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 without a doubt i always knew i am girl i knew when i played with tiny that i i am girl you know that we are girls. And uh, this was this was four years old. And I already had a, a really robust and, and eubilant sense of language, not necessarily speaking, but reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because, you know, like many autistic people, I had to develop a sense of being able to read people. Mm-hmm. And that, that became my life work to be able to engage, and to not just care about my own identity, but to care about how I build good and helpful and compassionate and benevolent relationships with other people, and mm-hmm. how I engage with others with my words and actions, and in a, in a way that is is uplifting, that is I affirmative.
0: I think that's so introspective and, I mean, forward thinking of, you know, being so young and knowing that this was how you had to cope with the world in order to better relate. I mean, I I don't, I think that you are definitely a a diamond in the rough as far as, you know, there's, everybody has, deals with autism in a different way, you know, because there's so many different facets, which is why it's a spectrum. Um, But listening to you talk about how you've kind of explored that and kind of, you know, really honed in on all of those amazing, um, that, those gifts that you've been given um, to kind of put it to uh, good use. Um, I think that's just phenomenal.
1: Oh, thank you. And I, you know, it wasn't easy. I was raised in and out of foster homes. Mm-hmm. And um, in, I was in, always in some kind of treatment because of autism. And I, uh, I also was homeless at times. But I, I blessedly had exposure to, to private schools as well. Mm-hmm. And and I was on my own. Many grades I had missed in their entirety. <laughs> but, I, but I had a capacity for lifelong learning. I, I mean, my first educational credential was a GED. Mm-hmm. And then I went to nursing school and got a professional degree and professional certification as a nurse. And only then, later, did I attend and graduate from college and then go on to do two master's degrees. And it took me a while to, to, to emerge. But, but because of poverty and because I did not have parents in the way that others have parents and... And because I've been on my own, it took, you know, it took a while to be able to afford it and to struggle through and, but it has made me trauma informed, deeply trauma sensitive and trauma informed mm-hmm. and also disability aware as a lifelong disabled person and who's now older and physically disabled mm-hmm. as well as having being autistic. It is very dear to me and important to me to have educational services that, that speak to all children and youth, but that also care about the 504 kids and the IEP kids and the ones who, who are often forgotten about and who think, oh gosh, what do I have to do now for this child with the IEP? And what do I have to do now for the 504s? And, and, but being able to speak in a sensitivity-aware way Mm-hmm. In a way that elevates and cares about feelings. You know, people have said to me, listen to the things, Danielle, that people have said to me in my mm-hmm. 30 years of educational practice, both as a, because I was a public school teacher too.
0: you've done it all.
1: In grades six through 12.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, including a, a really hard, tough struggle as a high school teacher at Lake Clifton High School here in Baltimore, Lord at Mercy. But I, um, I have been told, children just want attention. Oh, they just want attention. Don't, 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 don't mind them. And I have to remind the person, look, it is in the nature of a child to need attention and to want attention. It's okay. Let's just give it to them a bit. We don't have to have it be overly indulgent. But let's just give it to them. a little attention. I, I see you, Jimmy. I care about you, Jimmy. Come on over here, Jimmy. Now, take your space right here and 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 find a sense of calm right here, and I'll be right back. Okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> we don't often, and I've also been told this. Here's another thing: uh, it's you're too sensitive. <laughs> when being sensitivity aware is one of the ways that we endow ourselves and uplift ourselves. And the last one is, I don't don't care about those soft skills. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When this whole child's soft skills, the attention to our feelings, the management of our emotions and regulation of our emotions, all of these things are part and parcel, are the foundations that allow us to do well in anything, whether it be academics or any of our life's pursuits. So there's not soft skills, they're really foundational and fundamental skills too, as, as well as, as reading, writing, and arithmetic, as we used to say in the old days.
0: Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a new concept. Well, not necessarily the concept is new, but the terminology is newer. The social and emotional learning piece um, yes. Honestly, you know, and I've been in education for a while and my mom was a was an educator for 40 years. So um, but the terminology, social and emotional learning hasn't really been mainstream until like the past couple of years, really. Um, yeah, particularly about that,
1: particularly after 2010. That's when it really started taking off. But it's been around Castle. Uh, and really beautiful work in creating this the collaborative for academic social and emotional learning castle c a s e l mm-hmm. they were created in the in the mid 90s 94 95 and really rolled out those five sel competencies uh, which have you know become very very important self-awareness self-management social awareness relationship skills responsible decision making and so they've been around with us for a while, but one of the things that, that has happened is they've become a whole culture and network of building them into our schools has become embraced as we have learned that the problems of No Child Left Behind and the Common Core have arisen. Mm-hmm. and we have really seen that the the ineffectiveness of those models have really become aware they were pushed hard the common core and the no child left behind by many 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 forces including not just government but also corporate cultures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and but they forgot in their high stakes trauma laden way to emphasize whole child and social emotional learning concepts. At the same time, something happened within our schools. States began to defund drastically both K through 12, pre-K through 12, and colleges and universities. And the costs for maintaining schools, whether it be in an urban school district or the rural districts, really became drastically high and infrastructure drastically low and uncared for. Mm -hmm. And so the schools became havens for classroom mismanagement, all kinds of issues to try to keep up with these new standards and the new high stakes, anti-healing, anti-loving competencies you know, before it's not like there was a lot of social emotional learning, but at least there were that kind of real cultural care and, and love and infrastructure was good in many times, even within districts that struggle with poverty and crime. But mm-hmm. by the nineteen nineties, late eighties, nineteen nineties, the real problems started and the the remedies were ineffective and did not care about the actual children and people wanted them to behave Mm -hmm. instead of to behold the world with curiosity with love with tenderness and kindness as well as with as we always say rigor so i really celebrate and i've become a huge proponent it was back in the day as well of of these these five competencies and of of the whole castle movement and the the social emotional learning sel movement and I had already been doing it even before Castle invented these these competencies and concepts through restorative practices and mindfulness in schools, but have updated and integrated SEL into the body of my work post nineteen nineties and beyond. Mm-hmm. So it was really wonderful to meet you within the context of our SEL networks, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah that's the new
1: family that we're now a part of.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I, the, I guess what I, I'm curious to know is, you know, you've worked a lot with, um, with a lot of kids, with a lot of educators. What, what is something that you wish educators knew and could, would put into practice like right now? Uh, I think that we're all in kind of like a high stress time at this moment. Cause people are trying to reach their kids, um, you know, kids are trying to get access to technology so they can participate online in classes. But, um, you know, like what, what would be one thing that we could put into practice now that would be helpful to our students?
1: High stakes create high stress. Mm-hmm. When we set the stakes high, instead of caring about excellence, in a de-stressed way, then we set ourselves up for helplessness, for stereotype threats, and for areas of inachievement. Mm -hmm. I believe in realizing an educational world where everybody gains their own pathway in their own way towards achievement and excellence. But I believe that the fetishization of a form of perfectionism and stress-laden, trauma-laden high stakes, even in the scheduling of a day where there's very little time to go from one thing to another in that high stakes way, even to the over of testing so that the testing, rather than truly enhancing learning, becomes a way to invigilate, to scold the learning and to create internal competition and external competition that really blitz out. And only those with money to have extra tutoring and extra preparation are able to survive in that educational ecology. This is what I wish for our educators today, to calm down, have mercy, to take your time, Mm -hmm. to schedule in a way that is similar to how you process when you're teaching at home, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Where you're able to have the calm and the, the focus and the tenderness to allow your children to discover and behold instead of only to, to make it and make it and to hit a mark. Only the most advanced Olympic athletes are able to do those high stakes performances. Mm-hmm. We're not robots, androids, or Olympic athletes. Not all dancers are the high ballerinas on the principal level. Right? Right. right? Not all mathematicians are, are the, 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 the PhD uh, math specialists and theoreticians. Most of us need to care about excellence within those fields and endeavors, but in a way that, 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 that suits us, suits our body minds, cares about how we feel in the processes as well. Mm-hmm. So our classrooms need to be different. Our schedules need to be different and more caring, more trauma-informed, more sensitive, more attuned to the feelings, more taking of the time, less high stakes, and our evaluative systems need to be quite different. We found that within the COVID-19 pandemic that children really suffer when they're given poor grades and not given latitude and understanding on their assignments. Mm-hmm. We we have found, woo, the discovery that that getting any kind of grade or mark in and of itself is a can be a quite traumatizing endeavor when you're managing a lot of things in your life emotionally. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, children most children in the United States of America being one of the, the highest poverty informed countries in the world where we don't even believe it, but it is, are already struggling outside of the pandemic. And they need they need a, a educational environment where the evaluation is about incisive, deep, and extremely involved feedback, but not the culture of the the A through E or A through F not the culture where you are expelled or suspended for making mistakes, but rather finding accountability and really caring about holding children accountable, but through alternative means and giving the kind of chances because the first principles of restorative practices are number one, we are all truly in many ways good people. Most of us are good people. Number two, we make mistakes. And number three, we can change. And in fact, number two, we need to make mistakes. It's one of the ways in which we as humans learn. We don't just learn by gaining it through knowledge and then replicating it. Right. We have to do it, to trial and error through it, to feel it, to mold it. And then we learn. And our learning as we do that. So, this is the this is the, the these are the truths. I hope that teachers, administrators, whether it be in the classroom or the district level, can truly understand and embrace. This is the hope and possibilities that, ironically and sadly, this pandemic calls us to. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: thank you so much for um, sharing sharing with us today um your history and being open and um telling us a little bit of advice and just for your whole calm nature um i hope that others listen to this and kind of take action in their own lives to take a step back and and realize i know i know i needed to hear it um i know a lot of other people need to hear it it's these are you know, different times. And I hope that um, maybe at the end of all this, when we come back together, that, you know, we'll be more appreciative and, um, you know, we'll be able to put those those mindfulness practices into the classrooms face-to-face as well.
1: Um, Oh, yes. And again, Danielle, I'm in awe of you, and, mm-hmm. and I thank the world of you, and I thank you so much for this opportunity to to speak with you and and with the public today, and I, I just can't wait to connect with you again.
0: Uh, yeah, well, we are going to connect again at the uh, HOKO Rainbow Conference on Friday, so right. for those of you who are listening right now, Um, On Friday, May 15th, there's still time to register for the Hoko Rainbow Conference. Tree Turtle is going to be uh, leading the uh, three o'clock meditation session, and we still have a few openings available. Um, So we look forward to experiencing that with you on the 15th.
1: Oh, wonderful. Stay well and blessings to you, dear friend.
0: You too. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, signing off. Bye-bye.
0: There's still time to register for the Hoco Rainbow Conference on May 15th, 2020. We'll accept registrations up through Tuesday, May 12th, 2020. And You can visit bit.ly slash capital H-C-P-S-S and then rainbow. So bit.ly slash H-C-P-S-S rainbow. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at H-C-P-S-S underscore pride. The music featured at the start and end of our podcast is Work by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License.